the grade cricketer is a Twitter stream. It's about playing cricket at the grade level. It's a tough, mean, dirty, dirty business being a grade cricketer. A lot of cricketers, you know, that's all they know. They've mm. done it since they're 10 and they have a deep-seated fear of change. But the grade cricket is all about being the most alpha version of yourself as possible at all costs and at all times. I don't bat or bowl. I just feel a gully, count the number of dot balls in a row, sledge 15 yards, make me feel better about myself. Thanks, Thanks champ. champ. Oh, no, you called me champ. <laughs> Welcome to the Grey Cricketer Podcast on Fox Sports. We've made it. We've made it, everyone. The Ashes, it starts this morning, uh, Thursday morning at the Gabba. We'll be talking today selections, Australia's gift that just keeps on giving Australian selections. Payne, Marsh, Bancroft, Maxwell, Renshaw, Wade, Neville. It's all happening and we're going to be uh, talking at length about it. Australia feel bullish, though. Australia feel bullish. Lyon says we want to end careers and Matt Pryor doesn't like that. Uh, it looks like Stokes is coming. We're going to be talking about the England team and their tour prep uh, before the first test. The Women's Ashes is wrapped up as well. The Channel 9 commentary team has been uh, selected, I suppose, for lack of a better term. And that's already caused controversy before a ball has been bowled in anger. Tom Morris is on the show. Uh, we'll be talking to him about everything that's going to be happening at the Gabba for the next five days. And, of course, the biggest news of the week, the Batuta Advocate and Clancy Overall uh, in particular, will be joining us. My name is Ian Higgins. I'm joined by Sam Perry and Dave Edwards. And, chaps, let's start straight away with uh, selections. It's Christmas. Christmas has come mm. early for us because this is just a free hit, isn't it? Yeah. I've, uh, g'day, Higos. And, uh, again, what a wonderful... Intro. It feels like we're a little bit late to this, aren't we? Because the last time we went to air was about 24 hours uh, before the mm. <laughs> wonderful or terrible announcement, depending on what state you're from, of uh, Sean Marsh rejoining the side. Uh, Tim Payne, yes. I suppose, rejoining the side in a way, and uh, Cameron Bancroft set to make his debut. So a lot of the uh, news lines have been run and done, but uh, I think we should just quickly dissect it because... Um, <laughs> You know, an apology from my front. Uh, we were talking about the competitors for the number six spot last week, and Marsh wasn't even mentioned. Mm. Um, so we were nowhere near it. Uh, <laughs> no. Well, he t- wasn't on the radar, Pez. Mm. He wasn't even on the radar. He runs the radar. He's the eternal radar, isn't he? He's eternally on the mm. radar. I suspect he will That's be even after he retires. But, lads, he's got compromat on the Australia selectors, remember? He's got those photos that everyone keeps talking about. He's got about. the photos. He's got the photos. He's got a hard It's a drive. basic low-rent yeah. joke, but that's the only reason he's there, isn't he? Photos. Gents, uh, I, think the most, uh, I think the main reason why he wasn't on our radar, well, certainly my radar, is because he lost his Cricket Australia contract not three months ago uh, during the winter months here in Australia. So we thought that was it mm. for Sean. You know, that, that, was, that was the end of his career. It's been a glittering career. I've never seen a batsman who's either, he's, he's either zero or 100. I've, I've never noticed that. You know, Sean Marsh typically opens the batting for Australia or has batted three. So six seemed out of the equation. But it was the fact that he doesn't have a contract with Cricket Australia anymore, which signaled to me this, this this was the end. This was it. But mm. nah, next test match. Nah, get him back in. Jeez, he looks good. Oh, mate, he looks so good. He's got a beautiful cover drive and he just looks really, really good. He deserves <laughs> more chances, if anything. Make him captain, <laughs> I say. But back to Tim Payne for a moment. I mean, this bloke, I, okay. he was like a couple of days away from accepting a desk job with Kookaburra or something. He was nearly <laughs> out. Like, he was nearly out of cricket and now he's back in. It's a classic example of the bloke that threatens to retire in the hope that someone will urge him to go around again. And it's come yeah. off beautifully. And, of course, uh, it, it, didn't, it, didn't, um, it didn't help matters with Tim Payne that uh, he did turn up in a Cricket Australia promo 
which uh, we highlighted this week in a short-sleeved shirt. Short-sleeves, uh, uh, How yeah. was that allowed to happen? I mean, we've had wonderful relations with Cricket Australia mm. of late as well, mm. but, you know, over uh, a couple mm. of years. But, I mean... To the comms or marketing people out there, how was that allowed to happen? I genuinely want to know when he walked into that studio for that mm. professional shot, and he—I mean, how was a short sleeve shirt and wicket keeping gloves allowed to be on the man's body ahead of his return to cricket? I mean, is he not under enough pressure already? <laughs> Heads must roll. I mean, yes. If someone hasn't lost their job over this, then Cricket Australia isn't doing it right. Heads must roll. So, gents, I'm not sure if you've seen the latest news, which is literally breaking as we speak. The first thing that's ever happened, uh, the first thing that's ever happened, breaking news on this podcast. Um, but apparently, uh, Sean Marsh is injured and he's hurt his back, and Maxwell's in. <laughs> is, is that confirmed? Is, is, is Marsh yes. out? Is that confirmed? He's, he's missing the first he's test? He's not out, but he's pulled up sore. Um, okay. And, you know, who would have thought that would happen? He's pulled up sore, and now Maxwell's in. He's not just covering for. Uh, one player, he's covering for two players. Um, so he might well get a Guernsey uh, this morning at the Gabba. So, geez, it's it's been an interesting 24 to 48 hours. or It's been an interesting year, really, in Australian cricket. Mm. But the last mm. uh, day or mm. two, especially on social media, it's just been absolute mayhem. Mm. It, it's, it's, it's hard to keep up with the stories, isn't it? I mean, when we started talking about this yeah. a few weeks ago, we were saying it was the phony war and the wheels were in motion, and uh, now mm. it's just turned into a juggernaut. I mean, we were just saying off air that you can't even keep up with the storylines at the moment. Mm. Someone says something as a reaction, mm. that spawns mm. seven other articles, mm. uh, ex-players mm. are out in force. It's just an absolute festival oh. of opinion. It's like Trump. It's, it's, like the, it's like the first couple of days after Trump got elected. Every morning I just woke up, like, what is going to happen today? And that's the same thing with Australian cricket right now. I just do not know what's going to happen. <laughs> well, just on that chap, so Nathan Lyon has come out and he said, I, 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 when they say they come out, like I, I, that's just a news cycle thing, but like who's ever just come out? They just always just seem to come out and say stuff. But Nathan Lyon has come out and he said that he wants to end careers. And geez, I've, I've never known anything which is less offensive to have just wound up an entire nation. Mm. Chaps, thoughts on Nathan Lyon saying he wants to end careers? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's become pantomime, this stuff, hasn't it? Mm, I, like, I, yes. I really enjoyed Alastair Cook's response to it. I don't know if you saw it in his presser, but he just laughed and mm. said, I literally just spoke to Nathan Lyon uh, like on, on the boundary. He asked me how my kids were, and uh, we're actually just good mates. So I don't know what, why he's saying this. Uh, I mean, like, I do feel like the Australian attempts to like wind up England and to play this like you know bully mm. uh aggressive role mm. has I'm not saying it's mm. gone too far in that like in a moral sense but like they're kind mm. of coming on too strong about it now because it's almost become uh, comic that they're that they're doing like yes. clearly there's an edict from somewhere to wind up England like this uh, yeah. and it's particularly incongruous that Nathan Lyon is the attack dog uh, if you just look at the rig oh absolutely and the fact that he's a it, yeah I mean he's an off spin bowler indulging in smack talk it's it's the ultimate in uh, incongruity like off spin is the easiest skill in cricket it's literally just these ones it's it's rotating your fingers in a clockwise motion <laughs> so I think if this smack talk was coming from anyone else it wouldn't have caught the column inches that it has but because it's come from Nathan Lyon this like gangly friendly guy who asks how your kids are going um, it just doesn't seem right and and rightly so a lot of people have been offended by it no le- no less than Matt Pryor who he's he's around he's someone he's he's angry 
<laughs> yeah, so, uh, I mean, Joe Root, as actually in his press conference today, he's come out and he said that um, his England players would never say anything like that. Yeah. Just because, like, why are they getting so offended? Like, like, I'm sorry, but, like, that is, it's just ridiculous. So, anyway, yeah, let's, let's get back on to Matt Pry now, who, let's not forget, um, forgot how to bat last time he was here. Um, I thought Matt Pry was a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful player, but... Um, he forgot how to bat when he was here, and he was offended at the at the notion that um, the English batsmen mm. were scared. Uh, and it's just like, why can't you say that? Like, you're allowed to be scared when Mitchell Johnson's bowling at the wacker <laughs> and he's bowling 150. Like, but like his response to that was just like, no, he weren't. You're, you were scared. Like, like, it's yeah. like, like you're allowed to be scared when a bloke is trying to hit you. Like, yeah. You are allowed to be scared. <laughs> I mean, he goes, this yeah. is great. Do you honestly think that uh, it was a genuine option for Pryor and other English players, ex or current, just to admit that they were scared? Like, do you think that that would... Uh, like, I mean, I think it's a, that'd be a wonderful tactic. Like, you know, as a comms manager, perhaps that is the secret third <laughs> option to say, yeah, just admit you were scared. It's fine. It's, it's, it? it's yeah. a natural human emotion. I think in hindsight, you're allowed to say it, yeah. I, th- I actually found what, what I found interesting just going through the whole social media tirade that you know went between Lyon and and Pryor and a few others got involved off the back of that. But I noticed that mm. um, someone actually approached Pryor saying that Lyon's actually libelled you. <laughs> so Pryor wrote this. He said, "Last time someone spouted a whole lot of BS about me, I stayed quiet. Not this time. You've embarrassed yourself, Nath Lyon. This game is a funny way of biting back." Some bloke on Twitter called John Q- Cooper QC approached Matt Pryor and said. <laughs> He's actually libeled you. God, and Matt Pryor's gone, God. interesting. Would like to hear more on that, John. Thanks. John Cooper goes, interesting. Um, DM me, Matt. I'm experienced in these matters and I have one, you have one year from the libel to initiate proceedings. I suggest we begin with formal demand for an unreserved apology. And then I noticed that those tweets were deleted and they obviously went into a private conversation. So I wouldn't be surprised if a few days later we're talking about defamation. I mean, it'd be the ultimate comeback from an English point of view, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, litigation. Yeah. yeah, that's how this. Well, all yeah, ends, I mean, lawyers. Australia being the uh, like the the crass bully, and England coming back with the rule of law uh, and winning. Yeah, it would be perfect, <laughs> wouldn't it? <laughs> Um, I mean, other words have been spoken. We spoke about this last week. Matthew Hayden um, has, again, uh, come out, um, for lack of a better phrase, and he said some stuff. Stuart McGill is also giving some quotes. I mean, as we said last week, this is just Christmas for ex-players this time. But when, mm. it, when, it, when after the first ball is bowled, uh, I, sh- I presume this will all settle down. But um, let's, let's move on, chaps, as much as I love to speak about the war of words. Um, it looks like Ben Stokes is coming. Uh, I, uh, I was on Instagram the other day. I popped onto Instagram stories and Stokesy was in there. He was bowling in the nets at his county team at Durham. He was putting new Red Bull stickers on his bat. And um, the chat is that it looks like he's coming now. Mm. I was really surprised that he was putting his own stickers on his bat. Mm, Maybe we talk about that for a second. But yeah, it was, I mean, you can't have a story like that, an Instagram story like that, and you would know about this, he goes. You can't have an Instagram (laughs) story like that and it not be true. I mean, you can't do that and, you know, there's no way you'd see a story like that and then the police come out the next day and say, no, Stokes has actually been charged. I mean, speaking of the rule of law, Mm. uh, he's been charged, Mm. he's not coming out. Though the, I know the English journos tend to be, seem to be holding the line and saying, look, their information is that it's unlikely he's going to tour at all. So I would find his uh, Instagram story with the word grinding uh, splashed across it. Um, very surprising if he didn't come. Uh, Dave, is Stokes coming? 
I mean, I think the series needs him. He goes, it's it's getting fiery and arky, and there's been so much build up and hype. It's absolutely fucking out of control, and I think we need him almost to settle it down to to even the ledger. We've got we've got the alpha approach from the Australians. We've got the considered cerebral, you know, litigation first approach from England. We need Stokesy in just to kind of get that get it back on back on track and and get the get the alphaness back on both sides. I, I welcome him. So what you're saying is that. Ben Stokes is acting as some sort of mediator here uh, in some sort of out of court process. Um, but let's yeah. let's uh, let's let's talk let's talk about the England team for a moment uh, and their tour prep. They finished up a game against a, a cricket Australia eleven. Uh, England got five hundred, uh, and then they managed to take I think three wickets. Uh, Jason Sanger scored a hundred uh, in his second ever uh, first class match uh, for the for the Australia eleven uh, runs for Root. Uh, in the first innings, Cook, couple of runs as well. I mean, like, uh, the tour prep, anything anything taking your eye there, gents? No, uh, I don't think we'll remember it. I think uh, this is what I'm worried about going to air right now because by the time people listen to this, we'll be about two hours into the first day or beyond and everything yes. that we're talking yes. about now mm-hmm. will become yeah. redundant, including the runs and the words and everything. Yeah. Okay, let me, just, let me just say this, though, Pez. I think Alistair Cook is gone. I think I, I, in that I think he will play, um, but uh, I think his career is on a downward trajectory, and he averages uh, thirty in Ashes cricket. And I know this because Kevin Peterson, his good friend, uh, tweeted this. Um, so in Ashes cricket, of which Alistair Cook has probably played about uh, four series, one of which was when he absolutely bossed it here in Australia when when England won here, uh, and he scored about seven hundred runs. Him and Trot just we just couldn't get them out. And uh, we know we tried we tried bowling on his pads, and uh, turns out he's quite good in his pads. Um, but uh, so he averages thirty despite having an absolute bumper series. So I think he's gone, and I think he's just I think he nicks it for fun. That's what I think. So if, if, if England are batting right now, when you're listening to this, dear listener, Alistair Cook will be caught behind the wicket. There you go, unnecessary premonition. So England won the toss. Elected to bat, or <laughs> Australia's all. I'm really desperate to know. <laughs> yeah, well, that, I mean, that was what happened pretty much the last time we played him in a big match. Good point. Uh, women's Ashes, chaps, has uh, has been wrapped up. Uh, Australia retained the trophy despite it being a drawn series. England won the last two uh, the last two T twenties. Some shocking fielding has got to be said from Australia in the final game. I don't know if you guys caught this, but uh, let's let's talk about the Ashes series as a whole. I think my personal opinion has been a massive success to run it before the men's Ashes started. What do, what are you guys' thoughts? Oh yeah, particularly given we won. Uh, I think it's been fantastic, yes. but uh, that's because it's how life is. So if we hadn't won, it uh, would have been an abject mm. failure. No, obviously it's great, and I think that the more exposure people get to women's cricket, the more they realise that they like these people can play. Yep. Uh, you know, Beth Mooney's hundred the other day was just sensational. Yep. Uh, what a like what a wonderful player. Mm. She is, and and did you see the compilation the Cricket Australia put out recently of both keepers? Yeah, yes, I did. Uh, you know, see in, that. in the in the context of you know Payne's recall mm. in short sleeves, Matt Wade, um, you know, oh god, I don't. Uh, the word symbols just came into my head, but that's a, such a <laughs> shocking thing to say. Um, but it, the fact that it came into my head says something. Um, yeah. Perhaps that I just mince words. Yeah, it says something. When when you yeah, that's right. So, but Sarah Taylor and Alyssa Healy's um, keeping is just. Fantastic. Mm. And I remember, you know, friend of the show, Ed Cowan, coming on recently just saying that Elisa Hill is an absolute mm. gun of a keeper, and Sarah Taylor's probably a rung above her. Mm. So uh, I don't know why I'm going on about keepers so much there, but 
it was a highlight. All right. In the interest of time, uh, we'll move along. Dave, I want to ask you about the uh, the Channel Nine commentary team, uh, which has been announced. It's really just the same faces as it as it always is, uh, and there's been mm. some backlash uh, from from uh, from the public, the paying yep. public for Channel Nine free to wear television. Uh, Channel Nine commentary team. Oh, mate, look, I mean, diversity isn't something that Channel Nine's known for, although we say that as three white blokes on a podcast together. But Channel Nine is a major television network, as you say, and I imagine they at least have a handful of female viewers that they want to attract, you know, not just to reach that yes. audience, but also to attract, you know, female-skewed brand and advertising opportunities. Yeah. Certainly, mm. um, less of all gender equality. I think the low point for me last year was when Shane Warne started talking about his favourite pizza toppings at, at serious length. And that oh, was the time Christ, yeah. um, that Channel 9's commentary really jumped the shark. But no, they've gone around again with an all-male lineup, Same old white faces. Um, so I don't expect mm. much new this time around from Channel 9. But I think when they posted... And mm. they actually posted this photo on, on social media. You might That's probably the first yes. time we all saw it. They, they gloatingly said, look at our commentary lineup for, for the yeah. Ashes series. Yeah. And it was just like a fucking pyramid <laughs> of white faces, you know, like a Michael Jackson mm. V... In, in the way they were assembled <laughs> and um surely they would have expected some backlash like whoever's tweeted that it's gone mate they're gonna realize there's no birds here <laughs> <laughs> just like any club barbecue birds. um sam i want to ask you uh i don't know why i just called you sam but um pez i want to ask you um it seems like these days it's uh, it's it's almost too easy to have a bit of a pop at the channel line commentary team but not a ball has been bowled yet and already they're offside <laughs> well, it is easy to do it because you know exactly what you're going to get with them. I mean, seriously, is there going to be anything new with the Channel 9 commentators this year? Like, you know that the pizza topping conversation will yeah. come up again. Uh, you know, it's, it, it's become so grim for Channel 9 that, like, seriously, Bill Laurie is the yeah. best talent on there. I mean, there was, it wasn't too long ago, and I say that with yeah. full respect to mm. William Morris, but uh, it wasn't too long ago that, like, Bill Laurie was the joke of the Channel 9 commentary team when it was uh, Richie Benno and Tony mm. Gregg and they had other guys like Michael mm. Holding and Cozier and those guys on. Uh, but now Bill Laurie is kind of like the elder statesman who uh, absolutely gives mm. it to his mates and um, actually calls the game with a level of like decency and mm. dignity that uh, is sorely lacking in, in pretty much the rest of them. But we know that this is just about, you know, as um, Gus Warland, probably not friend of the show uh, as of late, uh, said a few a few years ago in that famous conversation with Jeff Lemon that uh, it's just like a sportsman's mm. lunch and I think the reality is and maybe a lot of listeners out there to the Great Creator podcast agree they just like sitting down with all ex-Australian mm. captains who each scored yeah. you know an average of 10,000 mm. test runs um, they just like sitting down and listening to their stories and just being in the dressing room with the boys eh? just el- elbows just elbows and jokes and as we know, famously, you cannot be a good cricketer and a good bloke. Um, all right, lads, uh, the Ashes starts literally this morning. I fucking cannot wait for it. I hope it's going to be a bumper series. And here's what I want the most of all, just Sydney to be a live test. Can we just have a fucking live test in Sydney, not a dead mm. rubber? <sighs> Tom Morris coming up. We grade cricketers work hard. Everything has to be hard at all times. Work hard. Circuit hard. Just be hard. Never smart. Always hard. Boys, the bloke we've uh, brought on the show uh, today is one of the rising stars of cricket journalism. Yeah, I'm going to say AFL journalism as well. We might talk about that in a second. He's with Fox Sports. 
his name's Tom Morris. A couple of us know him personally as well. Um, you probably know him from Twitter. He recently has a blue tick, as far as I understand, which I think earned the ire <laughs> of many of his colleagues, but I'm sure he'll be happy with it. Huge Tom, truth. welcome to the Great Cricketer. Oh, it's a pleasure to be on, boys. And you say recently got the blue tick. Uh, it was actually about a year ago, and I can confirm it was probably the best day of my life. Uh, so thanks very much for that. <laughs> How do you get the blue tick? Yeah, we, we want one. Blue tick. We never got one. Uh, well, it's a disgrace that Grey Cricket doesn't have it, really, but pretty much what happens is Fox Sports uh, send you an email. So your boss sends you an email, and they say, do you want a blue tick? And obviously I was very quick to reply with a yes. Was that the subject, header? Uh, <laughs> yes, 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 yes. And then you've got to send forward your, I think your address and your email. I don't know what the Grey Cricketers address is. I mean, there's a bit of Grey Cricket on all of us, mm. as you said. But then you just, uh, and then, then about a month later, you just wake up one morning and you're followed by about 80 or 100 um, Indians and, and, and a few Sri Lankans in there as well, and you've got a blue tick, and, and it's an awesome feeling. <laughs> Life is I think we numbers. need more. It's more sub, subcontinental followers. I think we need to tap yeah. that market, boys. Yeah. yeah. Untapped. <laughs> uh, part of the reason we might not have a blue tick is because um, the great cricketer is not a real person. Uh, nevertheless, Tom, last week we had... Izzy Westbury on the show, who put in a staunch defence. In fact, she ran rings around us when talking about the uh, perils of the Australian cricket side and how we're really no great shakes. Uh, it got a little bit patriotic, and I like to be honest, I quite enjoyed it, even though we got uh, destroyed by her. Um, do you have a view? You got bodied. Yeah, bodied. That's right. Um, Tom, do you have a view yourself as a patriotic Australian around and and, and journalist and, and person close to the game, of course? Uh, about how this Ashes series is going to go. I mean, the English are staying quiet and you know, watching and listening to us be exceptionally bullish about our chances to the point of just saying we want to end careers and uh, open up scars. It's just getting it's the, the military um, metaphors are, are out of control. Um, do, do you have a view on how this is going to go? I think Australia is going to win and win easily. Um, I, I don't. I, mean, I heard what Izzy was saying, and, and I respect her opinion. I think she knows cricket very well, but I think she's completely misguided in her uh, views on this Australian team and the English team. Oh, the Australian team at home is a very good team. People underestimate how good Usman Kawaja is in Australia. People underestimate, uh, well, they shouldn't underestimate that, but they, but they might not tomorrow, uh, how good the Australian bowling attack is. Um, and also, Stephen Smith is... Probably the best batsman in the world, along with Virat Kohli and David Warner's a gun at home. We, the Australian team is very strong, and they say, "Oh, what, what about Sean Marsh? What about Tim Payne?" It doesn't really matter if you've got bowlers that can knock people over for nothing, um, and then you've got a couple of weaker links in the batting order. And let me tell you one thing: and when you've got a weak link, uh, number six or number seven, if the top five makes runs, as I think is going to happen, it doesn't really matter if that guy makes twenty or thirty and not a hundred every single time. So I think we're in good shape. I think the, the English team is uh, a quality, they've got a quality couple, uh, Joe Root um, and Stuart Broad especially. I think James Anderson might struggle a little bit, except maybe in Adelaide and Alistair Cook, well, who knows? He's got great runs on the board, but he's not going to take a game away from you. So off. I think it's a no-brainer. I've tipped Australia 4-0. Could easily be 5-0. <laughs> 10-0. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the one that isn't a result. Is that a, is that a Sydney washout? <laughs> no, it's definitely a Melbourne washout because you just can't quite predict what the weather's going to be. Adelaide's not going to be a draw with the pink ball. That used to always be the draw test, didn't it? But with the pink ball, it's not going to be a draw. Gabber and Wacker, Wacker won't be draws. Sydney, well, it depends if they care by then, but that's rarely a draw because England normally tired by then playing Scott Borthwick types. So Melbourne's the only one left. So if there's going to be a draw, it's going to be in Melbourne. 
So right now, as this goes to, uh, as we're recording it, we don't really know the final Australian eleven. If Sean Marsh is fit, then he plays. But of course, famously, he is made of salad, and uh, and Glenn Maxwell has been brought in. What, hair? And, uh, is he made of hair? <laughs> he's made of hair. Very finite. Now he scored a hundred and broke his thumb and the oh, finger in the West, and he's feeling a ball or something. I can't, he's always injured. Is my point. Uh, anyway, but uh, Glenn Maxwell has been brought in uh, for the uh, the. Uh, the controversial selection of uh, Sean Marsh, but what, what are you hearing about that, Tom? Well, what I'm hearing is that Sean Marsh, number one, has been selected for a five-test series, having never played five tests in a row in his career. He's only ever played four tests in a row twice. So that's, a little bit, that's ironic in, in itself. But he's got a sore back. So, of course, he goes into camp after batting for a little bit in a few Shield games and has a sore back, and you only hear about it 24 hours before the toss and there's an injury cloud over him so look by the time people are listening to this they might know if he's playing or not but the fact that he's even under an injury cloud is unbelievable uh so glenn maxwell's been flown up to brisbane to potentially replace sean marsh but then david warner's got a sore neck so the idea was that warner might not play so marsh would open and maxwell would go to six so it's baffling to me that you can fly one all-round cricketer to cover for two players he may as well come from Malcolm Turnbull as well, because uh, it's just a <laughs> oh, Grabby, grabby line. So I, I just note your uh, like particular frustration with the Marsh selection, and I also note that you are Melbourne-based very much so. I mean, how has the Victorian press in particular taken the axing of Glenn Maxwell, one of their own? Oh, there's been effigies burned. It's not Sean, Ma- Sean Marsh's fault. I am... Um, <laughs> I would, have, I would have preferred Glenn Maxwell on the team, but I was probably 60-40 that way. Uh, I'm not completely against Sean Marsh, not in the way some others are. They four test tons in different conditions, and at his best, he's beautiful. But the very reality that he's never fit for any length of time, and this is partly broken fingers, but it's also soft tissue, means you just can't trust him to stay out there, and then you have to make a change anyway. So I would have gone with Maxwell. The Victorian media has been savage on the selectors, but whatever way the selectors went in this test, they were always going to be uh, criticised and watch the direction and watch the angles. So I don't think they really had a, had a way out. I think they did a reasonable job in selecting an 11. And as I said, you could put any of us four at number six and we wouldn't make any runs, but we'd still win the Ashes 5-0. So you've actually led me in nicely there, Tom, because I was just uh, doing some research actually about the last time England were here in the 2013-14 Ashes series, and obviously we won that one. We being the Australian cricket team, I, I wasn't playing, but um, but uh, Australia won that five nil. And uh, I was looking at the first inning scores, and you were just saying before about how it doesn't necessarily matter if uh, you know if if Marsh and Payne six and seven aren't scoring runs. But I was having a look at how important Brad Haddon was in the last series. He scored four hundred and ninety three runs at sixty one. I've written down. Uh, so at the Gabba, Australia in the first innings were 5 for 100. Haddon came in and scored 94. Perth, 5 for 143. Haddon scores 55. Melbourne, 5 for 112. Haddon scores 65. Uh, Sydney, 5 for 97. Haddon comes in and scores 75. So, like, that's Anderson and Broad again in Australia with the new ball who did some damage against uh, Chris Rogers, Dave Warner, Michael Clark. Uh, Steve Smith, uh, which is maybe a, a slightly better battering attack, maybe. So I, I, I challenge your notion that uh, that England can't take wickets with the new ball. Thoughts? Yeah, yeah. Thoughts. Good stats, and uh, you've almost got me, except for one little thing. James Anderson's thirty-five, and he bowls little medium paces now, and he's not getting the zip that he once did. Medium God, he's going to take forty wickets now. Just little meds. So, so Johnny yeah. Bairstow's up to the stumps. <laughs> well, yeah. Like, Adam Dale. I, 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 I take you back further to the 07 Ashes, and I'll never forget 
Michael Clark batting at the Adelaide Oval. He made a ton um, there. And Matthew Hoggard was bowling. And the keeper came up to the stumps there as well. And that's what I think James Anderson will be here with the older ball. He's not going to be that effective unless the ball's brand new. And yeah, we were five down for not many in 2013-14 and hadn't needed to make runs. But uh, mm-hmm. Steve Smith is a much better batsman than any of our batsmen were at the time. Dave Warner's mm-hmm. a better batsman than he was then. So I think they'll probably cover the slight weak links, which potentially is Cam Bancroft, although I also think he'll be very good because he's a quality player and he's in form. Comprehensive, Tom. Yeah. High high quality analysis. Uh, I know that in I was going to say in your personal life, you're a, a wicketkeeper uh, in your mm. own right. Uh, you've played some first grade cricket as well. Can you give us a bit of an analysis of Tim Payne as a keeper? I mean, we've been led to believe this week, following his selection, that although he hasn't made uh, you know a more recent first class century than Darren Lehman, uh, that he has. And I, <laughs> and I read this on Facebook from a, a Tassie teammate of his, the best mitts in the country. Uh, is that true? Is he, has he got the best mitts in the country? <laughs> I think him and Tim. <laughs> well, first of all, the, the, the term mitt is uh, is just. Uh, I <laughs> love that. Man. Uh, it's, I mean, the opposite. The opposite to mitt is symbols, isn't it? So you've got a bit. It's a symbol yeah. to mitt scale, and yeah, I think yeah, yeah. It's heavily yeah. weighted yeah, the mitt. curvature uh, of the gloves. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly, exactly. He's got the <laughs> cleanest looking keeping technique in the country. Yeah. Uh, I think he's probably the best keeper in the country, alongside Tim Luderman, who's playing club cricket mm. for Geelong now. Uh, great cricket, of course, for Geelong here, but. Mm. But is the cleanliness of his keeping accentuated by the cleanliness of his aesthetic generally? Because he's a very clean, well-kept good. man who looks yeah. good. He's Three got a good skin regime. Disgust at length, and um, yeah, good, good <laughs> skin, good shape. Absolutely, he's uh, he's got a nice head, as you said, nice salad. Uh, he's got no no face salad. I think helps. That obviously hurts. <laughs> no face salad. Face salad. It's getting so weird. Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's good though. Uh, uh, he's the best keeper in the country, and I'm glad, I'm glad they've gone with him. What I did look up on today, I looked up his grade stats today because uh, you may note that Brett G said that he should have a bowl in the first test as Australia's fifth bowler. So I looked him up, and uh, I actually found out through my contacts down in Tassie that three years ago in a semi-final in a grade game, he got out Ben Dunk. So if we need someone to, to take the ball, he'll be the man, and Bancroft and Hands can we have a keep as well. Uh, Tom, w- <laughs> wonderful stuff. From the selectors like it. I love this idea that when you want to find out about someone, you immediately go to like the uh, to my cricket. I, like I was I lucky enough to to <laughs> talk to a friend of the show Kerry O'Keefe the other day, and and he opened our conversation by saying, "Sam, I'm just trying to look you up on my cricket." Because um, that was the way he was going to get any background on me. Just everyone's just uh, numbers. But um, Tom. Thanks very much for joining us. That was fantastic. We'll definitely have you back on throughout the summer. Great to get a more patriotic Aussie perspective. And, uh, you know, all the best in all your endeavours, mate, as you cover Australia and their um, impending 13-0 series win and uh, also in your own cricket as well. <laughs> nah, no worries at all. Thanks very much, fellas. Great job. I don't play cricket for results. I don't come to take wickets, score runs, or win games. I play cricket to look good. Rigs, chests, pipes, circuits, salads. This is my domain. So when I hit the sheds, I need to radiate success. That's why I use Chop King Cologne by TGC. 
with a blend of the finest handcrafted English willow and Kookaburra Red King leather, Chop King Cologne lets me radiate cricket. Whatever the ground, whatever the circuit. Chop King Cologne. The new fragrance for men by TGC. Reek of runs without hitting them. Boys, a bit of a different one this week and one that I'm exceptionally excited about. Uh, A bit of an intro here. Uh, Defying the worldwide slump in the media, the Batuta Advocate boasts more readers than the New York Times, the Australian, the Washington Post and the China Daily Post put together. And um, we've got someone on the line here to talk about that. Hailing from the township of Batuta, which is a ghost town Mm. uh, in the far western Queensland desert, Clancy Overall uh, is a passionate regional journalist with over 40 years' experience in the news media. Uh, That's not all he does. He's also worked as a ringer, tent boxer, roo shooter and fencer. Uh, He's been known for always keeping a journal on him. Documenting life in the Australian outback, whether it was to be published or not, and uh, he joins us on the Grey Cricketer podcast today. G'day, Clancy. Uh, glad you could join us, mate. Thanks for having me, clubbies. On that note, Clancy, I was hoping you could just start by telling us a little bit about uh, the cricket scene in Batuta and your experience of it. Mm-hmm. Well, mate, it's it's like believe it or not, the the cricketing community in the Bumpton Shire is kind of um, it's it's been uh it's been around. It's one one of the oldest codes out this way, and it it actually it's it's so old now, a particular club in Batuta that it doesn't even have a mascot name. And, uh, similar to the SCG, refuse to kind of uh, carry any form of uh, branding or, or goofy kind of you know. Titles. There's no sponsors, really uh, visible sponsors per se. It's all kind of run on uh, membership fees, and uh, yeah, no, it's it's actually since back since the uh, the Afghan Cavaliers kind of brought cricket to the Diamantina Shire, uh, and they uh, you know they they played with obviously that uh, a, a different brand of cricket uh, that we're used to in the in the more eastern states, and and I, I guess it carries through today. <laughs> So, Clancy, the Batuta Advocate is obviously an institution in Australia now, and I've just gone through the search part of your website to pick out a few cricket headlines because I'm interested in your thoughts. Uh, local dad forced to drop son from backyard cricket side. Brisbane dad takes seven backyard wickets in frightening return to form. Local mm. dad agrees they just don't make cricketers like Jeff Thompson anymore. A lot of these articles tend to focus on fathers and their sons in the backyard. Was backyard cricket a big part of your own upbringing as a young man growing up in far west Queensland or, or not at all? Oh, no, definitely. Definitely was. And it is for a lot of people. And it's, um, it's kind of, uh, you know, and as, as you guys would imagine in your entire format, is based around just how egalitarian the game is. You know, there's uh, it's, it's kind of like Coca-Cola. You can serve it with any meal. And it's not really um, class-based as a lot of, um, a lot of, a lot of <laughs> games in Australia are. Um, so it is, it is quite uh, it's it's quite it's, it's good at bringing people together, um, whether they are the snobby cousins from um, from you know uh, Port Port Douglas or or they are you know the scrappers down there in the houses. They all kind of they all know the game and uh, and and yeah, we all we all bond over it. 
Clancy, yeah, I mean, as Dave has just touched on just there, I mean, Batuta's broken some of the world's biggest cricket stories. I mean, not just uh, in the home state of Queensland there, but, you know, some of the world's biggest stories. I mean, I'm just looking here at, uh, I mean, Kim Jong-un's uh, fantastic return to form, a blistering return to form for uh, taking 10 for none in North Korean domestic cricket. Uh, of course, Julian mm-hmm. Assange, that story there where he, uh, he, he sort of took to the window and he, uh, he asked anybody if, if, if uh, they wanted to play indoor cricket. <laughs> And uh, and most recently, of course, uh, Shane Watson's announcement that he was going to coach the, uh, the the French the French cricket team. Um, I mean, how is Batuta getting all these headlines? I mean, like, uh, wh- wh- where where are, are these coming from? Yeah, what are the sources? Well, we're not really held by the uh, the same standards as most um, kind of uh, you know sports based. Uh, uh, kind of publications are around Australia and, and around the sure. world. Uh, a, a lot of, uh, you know, that, that particular story of Kim Jong, kind of, you know, believe it or not, we had a bit of trouble with our website for a couple of weeks after that. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and the same goes with Sanj, you know, he doesn't really like people knowing about his his, uh, his vice, um, which is, of course, cricket, and he hasn't been allowed to play much of it. And, um, you know, we get a lot of people looking at our website that you kind of wouldn't have if you kind of um, abided by the, the internationally accepted... I guess book of uh, journalistic <laughs> ethics. Uh, of course. So you know, it, it, I, I guess the, these stories are out there for everyone. Um, it's just it's who's mm. willing to publish them, and and we kind of you know we report without without fear or favour in the um, in, yeah. in the Simpson Desert. <laughs> <laughs> we, we were just um, talking about this recently, Clancy. If we could just move on to the uh, the sort of international cricket scene, we were just talking about this earlier. The Channel Nine commentary team you published a piece which again was breaking news that uh and and this might sort of shock people on the morning of the test match as they listen to this but um Usman Khawaj mm. has actually been pressured to retire prematurely in order to diversify channel 9 commentary uh, just to add a little bit of pepper <laughs> to the bench of knowledge how did you find that story and, and will that send shockwaves through Australia given the test is uh, starting today as we go to air well yeah as, um, uh, as far as I know now he's, he's declined all offers to um essentially uh, ruined his career and worked for a failing news organisation, uh, media <laughs> uh, juggernaut, you know, probably has about 18 months left, um, <laughs> which is about nine, of course. Uh, he, uh, I think I think you can see a bit more future in his in his uh, cricketing uh, career. But, you know, it, it does, it is interesting that we've, um, we've actually just noticed in this day and age of uh, intersectionality among uh, cricket commentary that we just uh, might have kind of only poached talent uh, from, uh, you know, captains and, and high-performing cricketers, of course, in the uh, previously nepotistic and cronyistic uh, <laughs> world of Australian Test cricket all happened to be uh, young white men who turn into old white men. Uh, and, that, and that's kind of where we're at. Uh, and I think the, the girls are still too busy. Um, I mean, basically... I guess you could consider Australian women's cricket as very much professional now. There is a bit of money getting around, and uh, you know, but they're still working two jobs. At least Perry is playing soccer. Last time I heard, so <laughs> uh, she just wouldn't have time to, to to jump up there and 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 join and join the likes of uh, Pup, and she probably wouldn't want to. <laughs> Clancy, Clancy you've uh, obviously reached such a level of fame. Sorry, he goes there. I'll, I'll jump in with this one. You've spent time with our own Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull. Um, who isn't going so well in the polls at the moment, but he did help launch your new book. You also enjoyed a couple of beers with him. 
Um, did you get the sense that he was comfortable drinking beer or do you think he might have preferred a crisp glass of Pinot Grigio instead? How did you mm. kind of find his beer drinking? Mm. I mean, it's, it's, it's about, yeah, it's about as, um, he seems about as comfortable um, in, in that kind of circumstance as he does when he is in the commentary box uh, <laughs> commentating. <laughs> um, similar, similar, similar kind of um, Can't wait level for it of to uncomfortable. Finish. Kind of quite contrived, actually. You know, we had him on Triple M the other day trying to um, think of an ACDC song to send off Malcolm Young, uh, and he wasn't able to do that. I think he did play a bit of cricket, uh, but, uh, you know, he, he, as, a, as a Prime Minister, similar to a, a journalist and, and, and a, um, you know, social commentator like yourselves, you need to be able to walk in different circles and, and, and quite often Malcolm puts himself in circles that he's not that comfortable walking in and it, it shows very quickly. Clancy, let's uh, let's touch on the book uh, Batuta's Australia out right now in all good bookstores. I mean, you touch on uh, sort of linguistics, cuisine, and also these uh, sort of micro demographics within the Batuta community. I mean, for you, what what is it to be Australian? Um, I think... Anyone who says they are Australian um, is is kind of at a loss of uh, other words to describe themselves. Um, <laughs> I think there's there's you know there's there's a lot to um, uh, holding an Australian citizenship. Um, Apparently, it's pretty hard to just hold one of them. state of our current elected officials, but you know, it is a, it is a vast country we have, and it's quite a melting pot. And you know, um, and that was the aim of that book, actually, to, to delve into some of the different bubbles out there. I think to just say um, I'm Australian is uh, is selling yourself short a bit. I think because there's, there's a lot more to it. Um, you might have noticed we went straight. One of the biggest kind of sections there was. Uh, we were talking about sports in Australia, and uh, and and just you know we had um, obviously uh, rugby union, the uh, the game they play in heaven, uh, as as, mm. as they refer to it. Um, mm. So the game they play in Victoria, um, and then there was uh, <laughs> rugby league, the greatest game of all, and uh, followed by that we had cricket, the gentleman's game, and mm. lastly motorsports, <laughs> the gentleman's shame. <laughs> uh, I thought that was actually um, quite a profound answer about what it means to be Australia. Uh, be Australian, sorry, uh, Clancy. This this is one that um, most people who listen to the show might be able to relate to. Uh, you re- recently reported, uh, Clancy Overall, that is that a bottle shop employee was considering legally changing his name to Champ. Um, presumably he's still working through the technicalities of that, but can you give a, a bit of an insight into his, his state of mind as he was thinking about that? Yeah, no, he was, um, I mean, it was either that or Chief, I believe, he was, um, <laughs> he, he was, he was tossing up with, and it was, yeah. just, it was kind of just to, to, to smooth things over, but I guess when you are um, a 19-year-old who's quite visibly hungover working behind the counter of a bottle shop, uh, you're just you're kind of beholden to anyone, and you're really not you're not alpha. And and I've seen you guys write about this actually. Um, the 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 term champ, whether it's on the pitch or in the cafe or in the bottle shop, it, it really is a uh, kind of automatic um, 
kind of knighthood, but not something you know. It's almost like you're, you're being you're being notched down a few kind of um, ranks in the in the hierarchy, and yeah, it, it, you know, chief chief was one he actually had a bit of trouble with because for him to actually you know when we start delving into cultural appropriation for him to really live out the chief kind of uh, banner, but uh, <laughs> champ champ's pretty easy. Uh, pretty easy one to take on, and, and 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 really, if you if you don't have any prospects and you're looking at um, you know, you, uh, an ever an everlasting gap year as a young bloke in a um, bottle shop, and you can't really see. I mean, you, you get a few older blokes working in bottle shops, and they kind of uh, kind of progress to big fella and um, just mm. mate mate. If you can get a mate, that's mate. pretty dignifying. But, yeah. But I yeah. think um, yeah, I think champ. You know, if you if you're a little bloke. You're just going to have to cop that and wear it. <laughs> well, as you know, Clancy, uh, especially in great cricket, it is champ or be champed. Um, I just want to ask you about uh, a report uh, coming out of Monash University, uh, which has revealed that Shane Warne is looking good. And I just want to ask you, if, in your opinion, if this is the first time that you think Shane Warne has been looking good since his new face. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one because mm. um, Shane... It's similar to Matt Dunning, famous former Wallaby, kind of really pulled himself together. Uh, pulled himself together after exactly after hanging up the boots, hanging up the hanging up the bat, and um, yeah. and 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 yeah, Shane is he is looking good. I think we we're all kind of selling him short. I mean, he's looking different, but you know, you see him out there, and you know he you know he knows as well as anyone with the sun. He's just down his nose a little bit, and the uh, the the earpiece yeah. in. It's really you know. Yeah. Shane's good at a lot of things, or a few things, and uh, uh, you know, rebranding is is one of those one of those things. You know, he's come a long way from the baked beans era, and uh, I think right now where he's at, you know, the Instagram in international seas, drinking cocktails with heaps of straws in it. Shane's looking good. <laughs> uh, Clancy, that's. All we've got time for uh, for the interview today. Um, I think particularly to our UK listeners, this will have been a an unmatched insight into the social and cultural sphere of Australia, whatever that is. Um, the Batuta Advocate does have a book out, a hard-hitting coffee book, uh, coffee table book, I should say, out at the moment. Um, Clancy, thank you very much for joining us and uh, giving us your pearls of wisdom on this podcast today. Thanks for having me, boys. Big day. No, big night. I've got to clean up the last two wickets, sing the song, do the covers, sing the song, drink 42 beers in the sheds, have a shower, sing the song, publicly objectify my teammates' rigs, compare sizes, tell everyone how good I was when I was 17, go to a strip club, lie to my wife, then spend all of Sunday being an emotionally absent father and husband. (sighs) Big nights start with grade cricket. Lying to yourself has never been harder. Hashtag AskTGC. It is that time of the week again. I hope you listen to this while the cricket's on. And if you're not, I don't know how to finish that sentence. Uh, Matt Ellis is going to kick off the show this week. And Matt has three questions. Uh, we'll go with one of them. Uh, hi, DG, hi, TGC. I recently picked up your book for a bargain price of twenty two ninety five Australian okay. dollars, I presume, in the recent Click Frenzy sales. I was then drawn to the Books You Might Also Love section that judges your purchase and recommends new titles. It drew me towards Mark Manson's The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, which made me wonder, do you think we are wasting our finite allocated fucks on cricket? Is it good to give a fuck about cricket? And how does this affect your audience? if they were to give more or less fucks about cricket. I understand this is a lengthy question, but all my friends hate cricket, 
So I just really want to know. Uh, wonderful question, Matt. Uh, mm. This reminds me of my time working in the not-for-profit space uh, a few years ago when our CEO said, and it's a good, it's a very noble idea that the whole point of you know existing is to do so well that you don't need to exist anymore. And mm. I'd like to think the great cricketer is, um, in many ways, has a not-for-profit spirit. Mm. Um, but no, no, we're open to commercial op- opportunities <laughs> if anyone is listening. To but um, in that. Yeah. Essentially, our whole MO is to um, help people not give a fuck about cricket yeah. by um, you know, rationalising why we do. So hopefully in a few years, uh, people will give such few fucks about cricket that uh, we won't need to exist at all. That's my view. Yeah, it's a good view, Pez. Um, I haven't read the book, but my partner, Julia, took the book with her on our recent trip to Hawaii. <laughs> so naturally, the title piqued my interest as we kind of lay there poolside. So I did skim through it. And I had the same thought as Matt, really, and the, the book does relate directly to cricket. Um, and I did try during my time as a cricketer to give less fucks, but it just didn't work. I tried to care less openly. You know, I started skipping training, turning up late, going out on Friday nights and turning up with a hangover, hoping that this would help my cricket. But it obviously had the opposite effect. And, you know, I quit my club to join another club. Don't give a fuck. That didn't work either. So I guess in hindsight... I was still giving a fuck, but even though I was going to painful lengths to appear nonchalant. So I would say that since I've quit cricket, I've felt infinitely lighter. Well, just keep in mind, if you are going to buy one book this summer, make sure it's Mark Manson's The Subtle Love Not Giving a Fuck. But if you are going to buy two books this year, The Great Cricketer, Tea and No Sympathy. Aidan Beard writes in and he says, I have had trouble facing swinging deliveries the past few years, haven't we all? I feel as if the problem stems from witnessing a man completely naked and wearing a hard hat streak across the field and attempt to jump the stumps, falling and exposing his flapping testicles. I was a 14-year-old wicketkeeper at the time, and I think the experience has scarred me. I think the experience has scarred me. I had to retire. To, I had to retire to gloves due to. Uh, I had to retire the gloves uh, due to an inability to uh, grab of any type of bouncy ball, and now my batting is being affected. What do I do? Gosh, this is serious. <laughs> yeah, I, I was like laughing along a lot yes. until he said he was 14, and yeah. there's a picture of a nude yeah. man on the field and stuff. But um, I, just, I suppose the cricket angle for me is like why after that uh, horrific experience is his problem just merely with the swinging ball. I mean, I, I guess I understand <laughs> the, the metaphor, but just from a, like a technical point of view, why is it the sort of the shine or the in-swing yeah. or whatever? Um, his problem, like he's got no problem sort of with, with balls at his head or anything. I mean, every <laughs> yeah. time I'm saying balls now, it's... Very good against a short ball, but just when it's doing a bit early, he's in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good question. Classic fourth grade cricketer. If it's full, you'll drive. If it's short, you'll pull. If it's anywhere in between, you're absolutely fucked. Um, this one is a private message, uh, which I think is probably uh, the question of the week. Uh, it comes in and says, Hi, guys. I work at a university in Sydney. I'm breaching privacy laws, so I can't identify which one, and I'd prefer if you didn't use my name. I imagine most vice-chancellors <laughs> listen to this. A student <laughs> recently applied to reschedule an exam that was on Saturday as they were aiming for selection in a first-grade Shires team, which would set up selection in a Frank Gray Shield, whatever the fuck that is, and their career more generally. As a former grade cricketer, should I reject his request as his playing future is essentially over, he's playing Shires, and force him to sit the exam as scheduled in punishment for his outlandish views on the hierarchy of grade cricket in Sydney? 
Very uh, good. Very well written as well. Bro, that is a university bravo. educated listener. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a straight answer. That's a, that's an that's a yes, mm. and for all the reasons that uh, Private Man has already outlaid. Uh, he knows outlined. the answer. Yeah, he knows the answer there. What um, bad luck for the person who applied to change the exam that they went straight to a great cricketer. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever have to reschedule exams to fit around great cricket? Because I, I remember that happened a couple of times for me, and I was always approved. Um, and rightly so. I think, obviously, great cricket is above shires and shires cricketers should have to sit all exams because they're never going to make it as professional cricketers and they should be focusing on their studies. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a real war on shires cricket on this show, isn't there? As there should be. It's turf war. Perhaps we should uh-huh. get someone to try it. <laughs> Perhaps we should get uh, someone from shires cricket to try and come on and, um, and defend the code. If there's anyone out there who wants to join, let us know. So first grade shy. So this guy's aiming for selection in first. So he's playing second grade shies, and if he gets into first grade, he's going to get into, get into Frank Gray Shield. And and Frank Gray Shield is set up his career more generally is the bit that interested me. Yeah, but the Frank Gray Shield is an under twenty fours competition. So the, like in Sydney, they have the Point of and Gray, which is under twenty one. But but shies is under twenty four. Just just in case you wanted to escape mm. cricket um, more, they, they make you play Saturday Sunday until you're twenty four in shies. Um, so uh, you know what? I think we've already answered this question. No, this is no. He goes. This is good because we're starting to pick holes in this question as well. Like, has this bloke literally written to the university and mm. and said, "I need to play because I need selection in first grade"? So he's like, literally, he's outlined where what grade he's currently in, how he's going, that if he makes first grade, he then will qualify for an under twenty four comp. I mean, it's, it's very uh, elaborate. Way of uh, getting out of an exam. Pretty sure there's mm. not that much space in the application box as well. Like he probably would have had to like attach an addendum <laughs> to to outline well, how this will set up his career more generally. I think the only way he can get away with this if he's hoping to get into first grade to then play under twenty fours to then transfer to a grade club because he has played first grade shires. That's the only way I can see him uh, in getting out of this. Uh, next question: George Taylor says, "Hi, gents. I'm considered one of the better." best-looking blokes at my club and have a decent rig, chest and pipes, three times a week in the gym. I feel like I'm well-respected amongst the other players, having held down an opening opening spot in in the twos over the last few years, averaging 20-odd. I am also working my way onto the committee to to take more of an active role in club life. So why don't girls like me? Good question, George. And the answer is Mm. obvious, I feel. Dave? Mm. Oh, the whole question reeks of insecurity. He goes... um, (laughs) That's all I need to say there. Yeah, I just wonder, George, whether um, you believe that what you've said above is somehow attractive to women um, because uh, it's not. I mean, I suppose chest and pipes mm. three times a week mm. is, but after that, playing in second grade mm. and in doing so, opening the batting, trust mm. me, uh, having been there, and then working your way onto the committee. I mean, I don't know if you believe that to be some kind of like, mm. uh, you know, pol- like political masterclass of mm. yours. Uh, literally, no one else wants to do it. I can assure you, mm-hmm. uh, you'll be given every opportunity to do it. Uh, <laughs> how you think that leads to women liking you is is beyond me. He has ticked a lot of boxes here, though I will say, because he's obviously lied about playing twos for a number of years and averaging twenty odd. He obviously averages fourteen mm. and has played three games in twos. Um, mm. But then. Why would you want to be on a committee? Is there anything less? That's, mm. that's, like, that's like human contraception, being on a cricket club committee. <laughs> so that's why girls don't like you, George. But thanks for your question. Um, Pez, this one's directed straight at you. Stephen White on the Twitter machine writes in and says, does Pez want to grab a pint with an Aussie in London to watch the Ashes? Mm. Sure. 
Okay. What, what do we... What do we do now? Yeah. Any strangers from the internet who want to catch up with any of us, um, yeah, we're always welcome to get unsolicited <laughs> answers from strangers on the internet. Mm. Please. Uh, Thomas Moore writes in and says, did Beth Mooney just play the perfect game of cricket? 100 in a losing side he's referring to. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, Especially as the country has been craving opening batsmen in, you know, in any gender of cricket. Well done, Beth Mooney. It was a great innings too. All right. Uh, Olympics has said this in response to the nine commentary teams. Olympics. Uh, not one rig-based selection here. Zero pipes, zero levers. Although worn circuit ability is second to none, my guess is you would get zero sets of gloves out of this lineup. Yeah. It's funny, actually, because when I first read this question in response to the unveiling of the nine commentary team, I thought, well, how could you have a, a row of test captains and other luminaries without pipes and levers it it's a complete it's completely contradictory to the whole policy of australian cricket mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. these are the the leading lights of australian cricket and then i look through it and it's actually kind of true there aren't many pipes and levers clark and all that have levers. i mean ian chapel clark, clark has well, yeah, well you would have thought bill laurie had levers too because he's very tall but he didn't play with no levers, no levers if that made sense makes sense uh Richie ian chapel i'd say in his <laughs> Chapel in his day uh, would have had pipes, but uh, who, who else is pipes and leaves? It's definitely not Mark uh, Nicholas. Tom Moody. Definitely not Shane Warne, apart from a small um, era that coincided with a, a failed drug test. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Um, all right. This next one uh, is nameless, but it says, Dear TGC, will you be releasing a Duke-scented fragrance for the English fans? Also, after your predictions for the Australian selection, can you please make more predictions about the result of the first test from an Englishman? Hashtag RSTGC. I feel like, I feel like we've already done that. Um, uh, Paddy Puddy writes in. He says, Why was I so heartbroken slash disappointed to find out Sam Perry was bald? I'd always pictured him with hair. I remember when I first came across a young Sam Perry with hair, probably the first oh, time, yeah. probably about 12 or 13 years ago, and it was magnificently spiky. Um, mm. A lot of product, mm. as was the style at the time. So mm. I do recall, yeah. even though it's a faint memory now, it was a fond one of Sam Perry with hair. So it did happen. Ah, mm. uh, It's a fond memory for me too, don't get me wrong. I just want to say one or two things about this uh, question. Um, I'm a bit miffed at someone I don't know feels heartbreak over me being bald. Um, trust me, the feelings are mutual. Uh, I also feel heartbreak every day about mm. it. I'll just tell a quick story. Uh, <laughs> about 10 years ago, around the time Dave's talking about, I was at training, probably with you, Dave, and there was a guy at our club. I won't say his nickname because it might muddy the waters of Muggsy. other things, but his name was and still is Sean. And uh, I remember he, he was <laughs> nude on top of his head. His head was naked uh, and it was like alarmingly so because he was he's very fair skinned. Anyway, um, he, you know, as with anyone who's bald, uh, it becomes a f- defining physical characteristic. I've learnt that. And I remember mocking him about it. And he turned to me and he said, uh, be careful, mate. It can go very quickly. And uh, <laughs> a year Pathetic. A year later, I had no hair in my head, and uh, I think uh, Sean Nugsy put a curse on me that day, and uh, I, I paid for that. That comment. sledge was literally <laughs> one brings two. That's literally what he was yeah. saying to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's very all right. good. Sam, speaking of hair, Thanks, Sam buddy. Ty writes in, and he said, 
is the to-be-confirmed selection of Tim Payne final proof that we've moved away from rig-based selection towards new-age salad-based selection? Additionally, is this comment on current culture and the rise of metrosexuality in a broader sense? Finally, what does this mean for grade cricketers sculpting rigs only to be potentially ousted by the whippy left armour with a fresh fade, or is grey cricket immune to the tides of change? Well, that's a fantastic that's a fantastic question, Sam, and I think you are definitely onto something. Firstly, I just love saying salad, mm. but look at Chris Lynn. Yeah. You know, early like mid this mm. year, Chris Lynn was in the Australian Champions Trophy mm. team. I didn't recognise him. I was, I was uh, lucky enough to be there at Edge Baston as Australia played England. Lynn came out to the field. I'm like, who is that? And it was Chris Lynn, bald. What's happened to Chris Lynn now? Retired mm-hmm. from first class yep. cricket, lost his Cricket Australia yep. contract, doing the IPL Dead rounds. To no salad. Yep, no salad. Coincidence? <laughs> Coincidence? I think not. I think it's a definite correlation there. Salad selections, <laughs> it is a thing. Usually the salad and the rig come together though. Like it's, I mean, why have one without the other? It's like having a sleeve tattoo, but terrible pipes. Chicken and the egg, really. <laughs> Yeah, if Stokes didn't have pipes, it would be very incongruous, wouldn't it? Uh, all mm. right, lads, last one for the week. Uh, Elliot Bird writes in. It's a bit of a long one, but uh, stick with me on this one. High grade cricketer. My last game of grade cricket was a second grade grand final a few years ago, which suffered from a, uh, a scheduling conflict with a stag weekend. Being down a few players, I extended the invitation to play to my 51-year-old dad, a former grade cricketer of note. I was excited at the prospect of playing a grand final with my old man. However, this excitement soon turned up uh, soon turned to abject depression. As an opening batsman, I was involved in an early mix-up where I sent the non-striker, our best batsman, down the river, attempting a suicide single, which resulted in him being run out about three metres short. After this early slatter, I managed to keep my composure and score a, fleet, a free-flowing 30-odd, actually 18. Dad ended up top-scoring with 45 not out, Red Inc. Going out to defend a subpar score of 177 was never going to be an easy task. However, after our opening bowlers snared a few cheap wickets, we started to get our tails up and think that we may be a chance. With the game evenly poised at 6 for 100, I decided to keep up to the stumps to our second change medium pacer, and two balls later managed to affect a leg side stumping, the likes of which I will never be able to repeat. While the whole, team's en- well, the whole team engulfed me in the celebration, I noticed Dad down the other end engaging in a casual chat about capital gains tax with the umpire, who was of similar age to him. <laughs> he didn't acknowledge my superb dismissal at all. Alfred. He even chipped in with a couple of miserly overs of slow mediums going for absolutely bugger all. Which, in my opinion, was completely fucked because he was bowling the type of shit I dispatched with Lee where we were playing in the backyard at home. Uh, before too long, we had them nine down requiring 20 runs to win. Fucking, I've bought into this story. Things yeah, started to get tense as their last pair eked out some excruciatingly yuck singles. Then came the breakthrough. One of them ran the ball down to third man, where Dad happened to be stationed. As I set off for a second, I screamed, Keepers! Keepers! Despite my desperate plea, he wound up his middle-aged levers, admittedly still impressive, and cannoned it straight to the bowler's end, Alfred again. It was a direct hit, and the batsman was short. Chaos ensued. We'd won the unwinnable. Whilst I know I should have been jubilant that I'd been part of a winning grade final and shared the moment with him, I couldn't escape the feeling that I would have rather played the game without him and subsequently lost and find myself in the quagmire I did at the time in which he had more social capital than me during the game after match beers. 
He even came out on the circuit and bought numerous rounds for the boys. Lads, it's been years since that day, and I haven't played serious cricket since. My question is, how do I get him to shut up about it? He's been dining out on the story for seven years. I'm seriously dreading going home for Christmas. Hashtag Ask TJC. Fuck me, that's yeah, the best question yeah. I've ever seen. Elliot, well played. Yeah, yeah. TJC short stories. I think it's mm. a new... Uh... It's a new segment. I don't really know what to add to that. No, I think it should stand on itself. I think that was yeah, that was beautiful. It's logically reacted uh, with with a, with emotional logic to mm. what has happened, and I don't think you should play cricket again. And I don't think you're going to shut your dad up about it. No, middle-aged leavers, admittedly still impressive. Listen <laughs> <laughs> over the next book. <laughs> Definitely on his dad's LinkedIn. All right, guys, it's been uh, it's been a wonderful show. Thank you so much for Clancy for coming on. Tom Morris as well. Uh, the first test it started. Uh, you can you can engage with us on social media as ever: Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You know the score. Tea and no sympathy out in bookstores right now. I hope you're enjoying the cricket. See you next week.